Wondering what's next in your business or personal life? Welcome to Success to Significance, Life After Breaking Through Glass Ceilings, a podcast dedicated to helping you with all of life's challenges, discoveries, and opportunities. Whether you're seeking a new career, retirement, or simply wanting to make an impact in your community or the world, Join Jen DuPlessis and her guests as they explore how to start, what to do when you're in the thick of a change or growth, and how to leave a mark in this world after breaking through your next achievement. You are moments away from the aha you've been seeking. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Success to Significance. I am delighted to introduce you to our guest today, Mr. Brian Smith, the founder of Ugg Boots and now philanthropist speaker, giver. Now, that's how I see you, Brian. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure is mine. That's great. It's good to see you. It, it's just definitely good to see you. We haven't seen each other in person for a little over a year now. It's crazy. So, well, again, I, that was just a very quick introduction, but I want to make sure that everybody understands that you are, in fact, the founder of Ugg Boots, and you've got a great story that we're going to talk about. But you're doing all kinds of things now. You're on stages speaking and sharing your stories of inspiration, motivation, uh, trials, and tribulations as they go along. Uh, so take us kind of back, if you don't mind, and tell us a little bit about you know what, what it was like living in Australia and what was your life like, your childhood like? I was blessed. I had a great childhood. My dad was a contractor, we, so we never had any cash money lying around the house, but we got to do lots and lots of really cool things. I lived in a city called Canberra, and he was one of, in my school, there were a thousand kids and five of us had parents who had a house at the coast, you know, so uh -huh. every weekend, every long weekend, every holiday, we were at the coast. So I, I had a sort of an upbringing of partly in the city in Canberra, but mostly in the country on the coast, you know, so I grew up surfing and just looking back, a really sort of easy childhood. Yeah. Well, and, and thankfully you had, you know, you had that easy childhood because it allowed you to decide to explore coming to the United States. And so what brought you here? What was the, the auspice for bringing you to the U.S.? I'd been an accountant and <laughs> I was studying part-time and working full-time. And it took me 10 years to graduate. And I quit the day I graduated because I hated accounting. But I just, <laughs> I just have this personality that doesn't want to give up, you know? Yeah. And I was sitting around trying to figure out, you know, what will I do? You know, what, where am I at? And I just heard the brand new album, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Yeah. And the second song, the words went, tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And I just felt like, shit, that's, they're, talk, they're describing me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Looking and around. <laughs> and then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed yeah. the starting gun. And as soon as I heard those words, I just got goosebumps. I went, oh, my God. You know, I thought of all my friends who are tracking after partnerships in the accounting world and other guys who had quit high school and, and started their own businesses. And here I am 10 years later, nowhere, quitting yeah. a job that I didn't like, right? And so I had discovered meditating back then. I discovered yoga and, uh, you know, I was sitting down meditating one morning and thinking, 
you know, I got these goosebumps again and I thought, oh, my God, all the big trends are coming out of California, like Levi jeans and waterbeds. And oh, surf- my gosh, waterbeds. Yeah. <laughs> surf friends, all these things are coming out of California. So yeah. I said, I'm going to go to California and find the next big thing and bring it back to Australia, you know, and make up my own new business. And so within a week I was, uh, you know, arrived in, in LAX and I had my surfboard and my house in Santa Monica. And first thing I did was go straight to Malibu to surf. And it had always been a dream of mine to, you know, surf Malibu. And so I, I was surfing up there for a month or so and, you know, didn't find the next big thing. And another month and another month went by and, and it got to be October and the water was getting really cold and the wind was chilly. And I remember finishing up a surf there and I was pulling on my sheepskin boots that I'd brought from Australia. And I just got goosebumps again. And I went, oh, and I took my buddy Doug was with me. And I said, man, we got to go into business, man. We're going to be instant millionaires, right? <laughs> because I knew every one in two people in Australia owned some sort of sheepskin footwear and there was nothing in America. So it just seemed logical that I'd make a, a really fast fortune. In, in Southern California, as I've heard you say before, here you were t- trying to tout uh, boots, right? Yeah. Sheepskin boots to surfing shops. Doug was going to be the salesman. So he went around to all the shoe stores. You know, we got some samples from a manufacturer. And he came back with like 150 business cards and no orders. As a good entrepreneur, you know, when you hit the wall, you have to pivot and figure out a way around things. And, and it struck me that, oh, my God, so many of them had been down to Australia on their surf trips and they'd bought half a dozen pairs of boots back for their buddies. So within the surf market, it was pretty well known. So, wow. so Doug and I had no option. We just, we just went after the surf shops and it sort of was, you know, we, we, Doug went, did one section of LA, I did the coastal side. And I walked in with my bag of samples and the guy, the shop owner goes, oh, my God, the Ugg boots, what are you doing with those? I said, well, I'm thinking of, thinking of importing them into America. He goes, oh, my God, you're going to make a fortune. That's the best thing in the world. You know, I, all my friends have got them. And I went to the next surf shop and, oh, my God, that's, that's great. You're going to make a killing, you know. And, you know, after two or three days of this, you know, Doug and I met back you know, thinking, oh, my God, we're going to be instant millionaires. But it never occurred to us that we didn't ask for an order, you know, because <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't have any inventory. So sort of what was the point, you know? Yeah. But it was enough to get get us started. And we, we borrowed or not borrowed. We got an investment of 20 grand, which in today's money is about 80,000. And we sent an order down to Australia for 500 pairs of boots with 15 grand, you know? And they finally arrived and, and Doug and I, sort of picked all the stuff up from the airport and we put it in my third bedroom at Santa Monica. And then the next Monday, we filled our cars full of product and we had order pads and everything. And we both went back to the surf shops. And I remember going back to Con Surfboards, which was the first guy I'd spoken to earlier. And I go, okay, I've got this huge duffel bag full of product. And, and I said, how many do you want? And he goes, oh, Brian, you know, well done, man. But we couldn't sell them in our store. We just sell surfboards and trunks and wetsuits. And, but don't worry, go to the shoe stores. And I just thought, remembering, oh, shit, you know, and I went to the All next, this stuff, yeah. yeah the yeah. next store, hey, Brian, fabulous, man, but we couldn't sell them here. We, we just sell surfboards and trunks and bikinis and wetsuits, you know, board shorts. 
but don't worry, you're going to kill it in the shoe stores, you know. And so by the time we finished our road trip and visiting every surf shop that said that we were going to make a fortune, Doug and I counted up the uh, sales for the year and uh, it was 28 pairs. <laughs> 28 pairs. And we were so disappointed. Oh, my gosh. So that's you know, adversity, right? I mean, that is a ceiling because now what do you do? Yeah, well... Doug went and got another job, obviously. I really couldn't give up because I had 20,000 bucks of investors' money and 480 pairs or something in the warehouse, you know, in the third bedroom. And so I started going to swap meets and street fairs. And, and the best thing I had going was I, I used to open up the back of my van at Malibu and I had a full set of inventory in the van. You know, the sales that the rest of that year went to about $5,000. So I got a summer job. I think I was scraping boats at Marina Del Rey, you know. And then the next season I said, okay, I'm going to advertise. So I uh, got some models and put them on the beach at Wind and Sea down in La Jolla and ran those ads, you know, had the perfect hair and the perfect clothing and the boots were the major part of the ad, you know. And, and the sales went to like $10,000. And I couldn't figure that out because it should have been way more. So I got another summer job. I, that, that one was wow. a construction worker in Bel Air. And the next season I said, okay, I'm going to get better looking models and a more expensive photographer. And we posed them on the beach and perfect hair and all that sort of stuff. And the sales went to like $20,000. And I, I couldn't figure it out. So that next summer I was working as a golf course greenskeeper. And I decided I'm going to go out of business. But when the first storm hit the coast in October, my answering machine just lit up with about 30 messages from every single retailer screaming to get more product. And so I couldn't really get out of business. And so, and so were these retailers the surf shops now because it was so cold? All surf shop retailers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I uh, remember having a beer with one of the surf shop owners and, you know, saying, I, you know, part of me wants to give up, but part of me, you know, I should be, I'm doing all this advertising, it's not going anywhere. And he, he just said, oh, shut up, Brian. And he calls out to the back of the shop and all these 12, 13-year-old grommets come out and he says, hey, what do you guys think of Ugg boots? And every one of them just went, oh, those Uggs, man, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads? Those models, they can't surf. And uh-huh. like, instantly I realized I'm sending the wrong message to my target market. And so I pivoted again. I called a buddy who was running this Scholastic Surf Association up in Orange County, and I said, hey, Pete, you got any young kids who are going to turn pro soon because i you know, I got no money? And he, he gave me two names, Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. And so I met them, and, I, and we just went surfing to Black's Beach in La Jolla and Trestles up in San Onofre. And they're remarkable because the, the walk is about a mile to get to the beach and fantastic surf at the end. And I just took my little Canon Sure shot and started photographing us walking to the beach (laughs) and from it. And when I ran those ads, you know, just using those photographs, you know, in the September, October issues of Surfer magazine, the sales went to $200,000. Wow. That season, just purely because I'd figured out how to get the readers looking at an ad that they desperately wanted to be in. I can imagine. Every little surf kid in, in America wanted to be walking down that path with Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and it really paid off. 
that really was the beginning of UG. It took four and a half years to get started, but that was the beginning of UG as a brand and as a, a powerful movement, you know, yeah. where we had these dedicated fans who just died for UG boots. Still so, do. Yeah, I parlayed that into snowboarding and skiing. And then in the Midwest, I had to try and figure out, well, what are they doing in the wintertime for sport? And they all played ice hockey. So I went after the, the youth ice hockey market and all the, the ice hockey mums, you know. And so I was able to duplicate that all across. And that, that's what made UGG become such a phenomenally loyal brand of, you know, for customers. And the product was always fantastic. And so that, that was what kept the longevity of the brand going. Yeah. Well, and also, I know you've told the story and maybe you could share, you know, that I have a couple questions. Where does UGG come from? And I know that the first boot was not the boot that we all see today. No way, yeah. <laughs> but no, nobody knows who made the UGG name up. There's a few old guys in Australia who claim they did, but uh, there's nobody really knows. But it's just been descriptive of sheepskin boots. And there's like hundreds of little factories all around Australia that make seat covers, you know, sheepskin seat covers and sheepskin right. bed underlays and sheepskin, whatever, and they then they make Ugg boots and they spell it U-G or U-G-G or U-G-H, you know, the, and nobody registered the trademark down there for the longest time. So it became unenforceable down there. Luckily, because I knew I was the first one to bring them into America, I applied for the trademark rights here and got them. And that, that was what I built the brand around was that trademark listing. Yeah, that's neat. So tell us about the first pair. Oh, God, they were horrible. They, they had glue all over the all over the top, you know, the front and glue on the all the and it was just two pieces of sheepskin stitched together in this shape. And it was glued to like a piece of linoleum. And that was the sole. Oh, <laughs> and and uh, but that was the state of the art of Ugg boots in in Australia. Right. And that's what we took to our first trade shows. We had all these, you know, we, we got them to uh, clean the product up so it didn't have glue all over it. But right. that basic style was what we started the business with. And this, that's a good point you bring up because too many people want to start their own business, but it's not perfect enough yet. Yeah. You know? I, I could, this is going to make a fortune, but well, why haven't you done it? Well, it's not finished yet. It was not perfect. You'll never start if you're waiting for perfection. Just take what you've got. I got so many stories about you know, companies like that. But, yeah, that, uh, you're, that you see and you're, you're around. And so now when you look back on that, you know, just to kind of tidy up loose and on UG, what do you think was your biggest mistake that you made in making UG what it ultimately became? And I know you sold it, but what do you think was your, your biggest life lesson? that you learned from there, from, from a mistake part. I'm sure you had some great life lessons and you can share those too on what you did right and how that created who you are today. It's a really interesting question. By today's standards, I should have done my due diligence. And if I had done that, you would have heard of UG today. Because if I knew how hard it was going to be, I would <laughs> never have started. Never have started. Right? So that might be a blessing. That might be a blessing, yeah. That's the beauty of entrepreneurship. You know, one of the requirements to be a good entrepreneur is some level of ignorance. Yeah. 
because if you knew how hard it was going to be and all the things you're going to face up to, you, you would just go, ah, oh, it's not, not worth it. it. Yeah. Let it go. But, <laughs> but if you go in with, you know, full passion and the dream is bigger than the obstacles, then mm -hmm. you'll, you'll make it through. And there's a way to sort of break through every obstacle. I've, I've never yet had a uh, obstacle that, that didn't turn into something good. In fact, one of my sayings, I, I wrote a book called The Birth of a Brand, and that's what I speak about on stage is really from this book. And one of my favorite pieces of philosophy is that your most disappointing disappointments will become your greatest blessings, right? Yeah. And I ask from the stage, you know, you know, put your hands up if you know, a year ago something disastrous happened in your business and you thought it was horrific, and now you look back and yeah. you think that's the best thing that ever happened because now look where I am. I would say 80% of the people put their hand up. I've been in that crowd and answered that. And it's funny because I've been able to answer it year after year after year after year. I mean, gosh, a year ago today, right, we were starting COVID and I thought, oh my gosh, this is not going to be good for my business. Because as a speaker, right, you're one too. I was on the road all the time speaking. That's right. What am I going to do now? You know, but no one could tell me that I couldn't do it. Right. And so I persevered. And a year now, a year later, I'm in a much better position than I ever was last year. It's amazing how that happens. Yeah. It's so common. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. So tell us what you're doing these days. So, you know, you sold uh, several years ago, and I know that you yeah. still love talking about it. And we've had some fun times up in New York in the middle of the night in an UGG store. But what are you doing now? What's your passion now? I've been mentoring a girl here in San Diego, and she has a lamb leather sash bag. It's a cross-shoulder bag, and it's got all these different compartments and everything, and it's made out of lamb leather but no fleece. That is so good. I, I remember how I met her is that I'd spoken on the stage and one of her investors heard me and said, Nicole, you've got to meet Brian Smith. You know, you've got to listen to some of his stories. And, and so I met with Nicole and her friend. And the minute I touched the, the lamb leather, it just took me back 15 years and, and oh, when yeah. I was doing drug. And I went, oh, my God, this is beautiful stuff. And we talked a bit about her business and after about a half an hour, I couldn't stop thinking, oh, my God, she's in Chapter 5 of my book, <laughs> right? And you do not want to be in Chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, you know, because it's so tough. So I uh, agreed to mentor her, and I've been working with her still to this day. That was, God, eight years ago. Wow. And, you know, she's now in the, you know, the multi-millions in sales, and the market's changed so much. It used to be all retail for me, you know, retailers, and, but now the market's pretty much all electronic. And, yeah, online. Uh, a lot of really good parts about it, a lot of bad parts about that as well. So anyway, we're just in the process right now of doing a fundraising, and this is really unique. You're familiar with Kickstarter campaigns, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you, you put your product out and you have all these benefits for $500 or $1,000 or whatever. Yeah. Well, there's a new program or a new format platform out there called WeFunder. Yeah. F-U-N-D-E-R. 
And it's like a Kickstarter, but you don't sell product, you sell stock in the company. Yeah, I bought some a couple of days ago from a new company. Did you really? Yeah, well, I did. Well, we're about three weeks to four weeks from going out with our WeFunder campaign. That's wonderful. And it's yeah. going to be fantastic because we know we've got a, such a hot product. Our biggest problem in that business is that our manufacturer, because of his banking situation in India, has to have full money before he ships product. Oh, wow. That's okay when you're doing 100 pairs, but when you're doing five, 10,000 pairs in a month, that becomes really prohibitive financially. Yeah. And so we've just not been able to get as much product in as we can sell. We're, we're mm. always back ordering and you know, promise we'll, we'll have it in a month or we'll have it in two months. Right. We, we've got to break that cycle. So this, yeah. this we fund a campaign is to build up you know, a million, two million dollars worth of equity that we can then put in place for ordering in, in, in India and have a continuous flow of product. So I'm really psyched about this. It's like being in the UG business all over again. Yeah, and, except you're wiser. Yeah. <laughs> you're wiser I, yeah. Right? Second time around. Well, what is the name of it again? And I know you told us on a, one of our mastermind calls that we were on, you told yeah. us about it. And I remember going to the website and looking at it. What is the name of it again? So we can, I well, can share that with everybody. The, the bag company is called thesashbag.com. TheSashBag.com. Okay. You have to put the word the in front, TheSashBag.com. And the other thing that I talked about with you when we were on on that mastermind is that the other reason I decided to mentor her, she's really clever, okay, and her assistant, both really smart girls. And saw her after a year or two. She had like about 120 bags that had like either blemishes or the zipper was sticking or – just defective. We, we couldn't sell them as perfect bags. So she decided to go on Facebook Live and she numbered all the bags, one through 120, and, and they were all $99, right? Usually 160 or something. And she started going through talking about this bag and then she'd put it down and then she'd spend another minute or two talking about the next bag. And she wasn't realizing that the minute she held it up, it was sold. Right? <laughs> And after about bag 15, she realizes, oh, my God, the minute I hold it up, it's gone, you know. So she flew through the the 100 bags, and it took like 45 minutes. And you would think that would be a huge success. But then came the problem of, well, okay, who bought it? Where's the email address? Right, I have to ship it. How do I I get an invoice to them? How do I – it it took nearly a month to get those 120 bags shipped out and the money in. And that's when Nicole thought, you know, there's got to be a platform for live selling on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't. And we checked with, you know, the inner circle of Facebook and they weren't interested at the time. So we built a live action shopping platform and live action shopping. We, we use those letters for Lash. Yeah. So it's Lash.live. And what we do is like on Thursday – Nicole will at four o'clock in San Diego time, she will go live on our platform and we'll have invited, you know, thousands and thousands of people to come in at four o'clock and watch the sale, right? And so they all come in, they they register and they put their credit card numbers in, which is never used unless they buy something. But, you know, we get three or 400 people watching and whatever she wants to sell that day, she starts selling. Only now it's so sophisticated 
there's a buy button. It's sort of like Home Shopping Network. Right, I was going to say, yeah, Home Shopping Network online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you hit buy and, and you're instantly in there and you don't have to you don't have to leave the site and go to their website and fill in the application and fill in the shipping. I mean, all that's already done. So it's like being live there in the, in the studio where they're selling and there's a chat function on the site. So these ladies are just like talking to each other and, and you know, after all these years that they've got a whole rapport right. going and it's been so successful that Nicole did a Sash Sisters like a dinner and we said, you know, it's going to be in San Diego. And would you believe like 350 ladies from all over the country flew in on their own cost to be in a dinner for Lash and Sash? And wow. To meet so it shows you how powerful Nicole's social media work is. And she's, she's just brilliant in creating communities. That's beautiful. And, and, and it's, so that, it's great for you to be around her and be that mentor because her success is accelerated right she's able to yeah. crash through ceilings faster than ever before because she's you see exactly the, right yeah yeah she's teaching me a lot too because you know when i sold UG, you know we just that year put computers on everybody's desks so right. the, the internet hadn't started you know so yeah. so uh yeah i'm learning a whole new range of skills myself oh that's beautiful i'm so glad that you're involved in that you know moving forward so I want to ask you another question too, and we'll put that link in here as well so that everyone can connect with them. And a couple of different questions I have for you. One is, what's on your bucket list? I haven't seen nearly as much of the planet as I would like to. So I was beginning when we were back on the road speaking. Mm-hmm. Every time I got a, a job in like, I got one in uh, Istanbul, I made a deal with them, look, I'll come and speak, but I want four days in the front and four days in the back with you. You pay the hotel bill and, you know, I'll cut my fee. And that was how I was starting to travel. So I've, you know, been there, the Bahamas, Australia. I was going to go up the Philippines, but that got caught by COVID. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to stop working because it's not work for me. It's just I love helping entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I have several that I deal with besides Nicole, but I just love being part of the business community. Well, it's not low. I mean, she's doing four, four million in sales. That's pretty healthy, you know. Oh, but yeah. A yeah. lot of them are smaller than that. And so it's a matter of you know, me wanting to travel and see the, the world. While and, chasing your passion at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is more esoteric was I've always had this mantra that I want to leave the planet better off than I found it, right? And that's really nebulous. But, you know, I just try every day to sort of meet one more person and make a friend and bit by bit, hopefully spreading goodness around the world in my own little way, you know? Yeah. And I love that. I just talked to someone the other day and he said, you know, his life's goal, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said his life's goal is to leave an impact on the hearts of those that he has met to lead that on to perpetuity. Right. And I thought that was really, really good because that's the impact that he wanted to make was, you know, in the hearts of people as well. And that's part of making our world better. I wanted to ask you this. Is there something that no one knows about you? Is there something that you've not told anybody before that you'd like to share with us? You have a unique (laughs) skill. Do you have a story that you didn't tell once upon a time 
you know, that someone doesn't know about you? What is something unique about you that we can't read in Forbes? We can't read online. I'm just going to answer that by saying that I've lived my life in little sections. Like a lot of the people, like nobody in America knows that my name in Australia is Butch, right? Oh, there you go. Smith. And I even got invited to a wedding for some really good friends. And the invitation said Butch and friend because they didn't know my real name. (laughs) So, so I guess that's one bit of information that like, if I went back to Australia and saw all my old buddies and Hey, Butch, what you been up to? You know? Yeah. Oh my God. What do you mean you've been in America for 40 years? That's crazy. (laughs) I thought, I thought you were here, still here, you know? Your middle name, Brian, that you went with Brian or how did that come about? No, no, no. My nickname was Butch. Oh, your nickname was Butch. Okay. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Who gave that to you? When I was like about seven or eight years old, I I went to the hairdresser and I told him to shave all my head like bald. Uh (laughs) And back then in the Donald Duck comics, there was like a convict uh, who was bald and his name was Butch. Butch. And so that name just sort of stuck with me. Oh, that's so neat. That's so neat. Yeah. So people close to you know it call you Butch. Yeah, but nobody in America, nobody in America would know. No, that. no, no. No, I promise I won't. I won't. <laughs> I won't do it. I'll think it, but I won't do it. I actually like your name because it's the same as my husband. Brian? Yeah, oh. Brian. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great name. Yeah. I've always loved that name. Yeah. Yeah. He was named after Sister O'Brien. in the the church yeah he was named after sister o'brien that's where it came from so yeah it's kind of a small thing you know brian if someone and i know that you're wanting to get back out speaking now that covid's kind of listing you know lifting up a little bit we've got some opportunities what is the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they'd like to have you come in and speak about entrepreneurship in their virtual or in-person live event sure my website is uggfounder, uggfounder.com, or you can also get there with briansmithspeaker.com. And there's a whole speaking page on there which shows how you can get in touch with me. Loads of testimonials, stuff like that. Yeah. So if you own a company or you work in a company that has speakers come in for motivation and inspiration, that's where I love, you know, those audiences is what I love. I mean, I've spoken on big stages like Inc. 5000 with two or 3,000 people there. But I really like the, the more intimate company events, you know, where there's two or 300 people and yeah. you know, get to know everybody a little bit better. Yeah. Well, that's how we met. You know, we were just in a small intimate. I came running up to you. We got a little picture, which I, I still have. And you don't like me in it, but I like you in it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's funny because we haven't taken a picture recently, but I, you know, I believe you're going to be at Mastermind for Secret Knock in July at Greg's place. Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm going to be there too. Can't wait to spend more time with you and get to know you and pick your brain. And maybe, maybe yeah. you'll want to pick my brain for something too. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, sure. Hopefully it will. Well, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure. I I mean, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me and just share with our community, you know, the trials and tribulations that you've been through and the impact that you're making in the world now and other people. It's just delightful to see. And, you know, I just wish you the best in the world. I can't wait to see you soon. Well, thank you so much. And just remember the WeFunder campaign for the sash bag. 
Yeah, well, I'll put that link in there too, because one of the good things about podcasts is that these things live forever. So when it comes out, I can put it back in the link. I can take it out. I can change it. I can do everything. Yeah. I definitely will. Uh, we'll I'd definitely. love to see a bunch of your listeners become sash bag owners. That would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to probably go get one myself and tout it. And hopefully everyone will want to buy it as well. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. We'll see about it. I can't wait. I can't wait. Thank you again, Brian. And everybody, thank you so much for listening in today and taking time out of your day to listen to our stories that make success and impact in the world. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Success to Significance with Jen Duplessis, the number one podcast for people wanting to give more value and make an impact. Loved this episode? Be sure to subscribe right now at www.jenduplessis.com S2S for more stories, strategies, and thoughts to help you gain significance and success. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Join us next week for another breakthrough episode. Thank you for listening. The more hands you shake, the more money you make. Get your mini website and smart business card. One unique C card with unlimited possibilities that brings you new contracts, new clients, and the money you deserve. In this lifetime deal, be one of the first to get all the current and future functions for the one-time investment of only $299. No tech skills required. We take care of every step for you. Great concierge service and lifetime support. Don't risk losing your only chance. Take action today. It's time to ditch the paper business card. Don't wait. Go to getccard.com.